you want to do something invasive about it. Pretty gross compared to like what you picture in a cartoon. Like they're just filled with mucus. It is right? like it's a they're weird, like... <laughs> membranous, like pseudo birth canal looking. <laughs> birth con alley is my favorite uh, underutilized alley in the Harry Potter universe. It's <laughs> Diagon Alley and Birth Con Alley. <laughs> <laughs> Come gather all your poets, all your storytelling freaks Thrumming your golden esophagi, spilling floral frilly speech You are the chosen noisemakers, the rabble that won't sleep The ugly little secrets walking proudly down the street Each story holds a thousand seeds a proverbial pomegranate A jewel of possibilities A not-so-silent planet Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back <laughs> to the not-so-silent planet what a flourish. What a flourish. Ooh. I mean, uh, uh, a speculative podcast. That's the... Oh, I'm glad that you... Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I, I don't know what else the Not-So-Silent Planet would be. I don't know that there's a cooking podcast that's... Uh, well, there could be. There could be. I mean, if this gets big... <laughs> this, yeah. And it definitely will. It can have a cooking <laughs> spinoff where you cook various recipes from uh, sci-fi and fantasy uh, stories. That's not a terrible idea. Actually, has that been done already? <laughs> that sounds like uh, it. TM, TM, TM. I'm your host, Philip Lowe. That's my co-host. And by when he said that, he pointed his finger <laughs> on this audio podcast <laughs> to me, Ben Sandell. Uh, we have our special guest for this episode. Hi, I'm Matt Alex. And also joining us tonight, Mr. Joe Bozick. Awesome. So I, I say let's knife right in. Matt's recommendation was a book called Gun with Occasional Music by Jonathan Lethem, which is there was a there was a quote from like a reviewer towards the beginning of the book. And I usually don't pay any attention to those. But there was one that was like uh, that described it as a mashup of um, uh, Raymond Chandler with Philip K. Dick. Yep. And I was like. Yeah, that's the tall order. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty accurate yeah, but uh, description it, of the content. Yeah. But basically, it's that kind of like hard-boiled gumshoe, film noir, mm. bitter, you know, only virtuous man in a crooked world kind of stories with the twist that it's taking place in a sort of sci-fi dystopia where people, there are evolved animals like kangaroos and gorillas who work alongside people and there's uh, everyone uh, so it's the prequel to zootopia it's yeah. basically, <laughs> it's basically a, zootopia it's, <laughs> it's the prequel to zootopia they they came through this somehow <laughs> came out the other end because this is much more hopeless <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not an inspiring it is not well no. the pendulum must swing <laughs> i guess right yeah but yeah i'm a, i'm a big I'm a big Raymond Chandler fan, as you know. We did a right. project a while back that was a big Chandler. I love the 
all the overwrought metaphors and way too intense. I'm just such a sucker for that whole writing style. I thought about so that, that show a lot so while like, reading this. Yeah, which I had never read this before. I recommended uh, this before I had read it. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> risky. <laughs> well, the problem is, is I, I don't have um, a lot of books that uh, easily fall into this genre that I don't think of as being like too cliche. Like I could do something right, like right. Lovecraft or whatever, and it's like, yeah. and I'm a huge Lovecraft mark, but I wanted to do something a little different and also like full length books. I haven't read a lot of stuff like that. I'm trying to get back into it. And so I was like, Megan, because this is what happens when I need to do something. Uh, and I'm either incapable or too lazy to do it. I go, Megan, what's a really good, like speculative fiction, sci-fi, horror, something kind of book? She's like, have you read Gun with Occasional Music? I said, is that a, what? <laughs> she's like, Gun with Occasional Music. I'm like, is that two things? And she's like, it's a book. I'm like, does it count? Are, are you an 80 year old man? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that how you pronounce her name? Do you have to do the, Megan? No, too, because I'm yeah. four feet from her and I'm nearly deaf. So I have to yell at because that's what happens if you can't hear. And so she's like, yeah, that, that would fit it. I don't know if you'll like, I'm like, too late. I've already sent the email. <laughs> she's like, cool. So, so one, of, one of the big things I loved, um, there was a twist I wasn't sold on at first, and then I was completely sold on it, which uh, one of the underlying things is uh, this is a universe in which there are uh, people are essentially not allowed to ask each other questions. It's forbidden. It is. It is. What's that joke from Rick and Morty where they're like, it's like if the C word and the N word had a baby and named it all the even dirtier words for Jew. <laughs> like that is what a question is. Simply saying, okay. like, how are you doing? Yeah. Is full stop restaurant forks clattering to the plates, Ooh. get kicked out. <laughs> and in fact, inquisitors like the weird police of this era would probably mm -hmm. come and take your ID and then fine you points. Yeah. And if you are low enough on points, you can't do your job anymore. You can't have a car anymore. Mm. You can't stay where you're renting. So it, it, it's that weird, like, what is it, uh, Woofy? Woofy? Uh, what's the, the, the Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom? It's, it's Woofy. Oh, is it Woofy? No, yeah. It's some silly word for it, but the same idea yeah. is like the idea of like your, your social karma. There's a Black Mirror episode about this. Your social karma is truly how you get by in the world. There's still money and things, but those are far less important than your sort of social standing. And one of the quickest ways to do that is to literally just ask a question. I, and, I actually had to look up. Uh, to verify that the publication of this book preceded the existence of Reddit. Because <laughs> <laughs> Reddit uses thumbs the, up, thumbs yeah, down, and it yeah. measures your karma. Yeah. And I think, I could be wrong, I don't believe that random people have the ability to... Right, it's just karma. the Inquisitors. The Inquisitors, so. which is sort of their like FBI, CIA, police force. They, um, and they're the only police. people allowed to ask questions. And just the fact that they are inquiring and asking a question makes people wicked uncomfortable. Mm. Our main character is a private Inquisitor, or a PI, essentially. Yeah. And so he is a former professional that kind of got sick of all the bureaucracy and in the most hard-boiled detective <laughs> thing. It's, it has the broadest of cliches, and <laughs> he would be an alcoholic, except they have some kind of drug they snort called Make that everybody has. That, as far as I can tell, it's kind of freely given to the populace. Oh, it's the idea. My impression was the idea is it's, the government wants it is very to literally the opiate of the masses, yeah. <laughs> and that becomes a plot point that makes more sense later. And so you have this dude who is. Kind of like, I don't like the bureaucracy. I've got this case of this guy who can't really afford me stumbling into my office saying I'm being set up for this murder of my, what was it, girlfriend or wife or whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's like, you the can't afford me. The puzzle is always the yeah, least just, interesting like, part of It doesn't matter. Like, that is the MacGuffin. And he's like, you know, it's like, you can't afford me and I don't care. You're going to get locked up. You've got, like, 
five karma. You'll be in, and they have like the demolition man style freeze people for X number of years as punishment. Yeah, mm. this is this is exactly the because. Uh, Throughout the Inquisitors don't like his investigation, so they keep lowering his karma. And then towards the end of the novel, he hits zero, and he's essentially uh, turned into a slave drone, and mm. which he has no memory of. Yep. So there's basically this six years later thing, <laughs> where he steps out with no memory of the past six years. Like as far as he's concerned, he stepped into a room, stepped out into this world where everyone else has moved on. He's the only one who still cares about this case. He's the only one investigating it. Many of the principals are <laughs> dead or too elderly to care or um, have left or whatever. The dystopia has gotten even more dystopian. It get worse because, like, the drugs at the time were like, oh, this will help you feel good, and this one will kind of let you take the edge off your shitty day at work. And, like, the, the blend has changed from whatever people were doing to now everyone just gets Forgetterall, um, and <laughs> which is a straight mix of forgetterall and addictorall which is an all and so you have to take it and this one makes you literally forget anything you've done to the point when he comes out of the freeze people have to have a little recorder that they call their memory and so when he walks in and goes uh what can you tell me about so and so they repeat his question to a microphone in the little box and the box says in their voice from presumably before they started taking the drugs he was uh, a private detective he didn't like him much he was kind of a jerk to you he was a private detective. I didn't like him very much. He was kind of a jerk to me. So you end up having this like three-way <laughs> oh. conversation with this thing, and he realizes you can't skip that step, like, and just have them talk. It's not that they won't; it's that they literally don't know. And the person starts to find it weird that he's not asking questions to his own box to be able to have a conversation. <laughs> okay, so now questions have been are they okay now? Well, because you're, you're inquiring. He's a, yeah. he's a PI, so technically he can. And when you're talking to your box, you're technically talking to yourself. It's like trying to recall a memory. So they're not asking him a question, but they'll oh, be like, man. oh, uh, you must be. And they also, they find tricky ways to, in public, phrase things like, you must be a friend of Larry's. And it's technically a statement. And like, there's even a thing, like someone, he walks into a bar and he's like, where can I find so-and-so? You want to watch your punctuation, pal? And like, it's so ingrained <laughs> like, into society. Do they give a reason why questions are banned? Nope. They, they they don't give reason for that. They refer to the evolved animals. Like, there's a character that's a sheep. There's a character that's a thug that's a kangaroo. There's a couple others. And they just are. And you get mm. little tugs at the strings around the edge of maybe what that's about, but they never explain it. You have uh, baby heads because there are no children in this reality. If mm. you choose to reproduce, you essentially get a fully formed small person with a baby head. And they're allowed to ask questions because they're too young to know any better. But they also are fully capable of speech, smoke, drink, do all that, have their own clubs and bars, and know that they have carte blanche to be able to ask questions. So they enjoy it's being It's a cool rude. world. Yeah, it yeah, does some right? great they, world they building. They to adults because they can get away with it. And they sort of hinted some of why that might be. Hmm. And, so for, well, and so in reading this, I'm like, God, I can't wait to see what all this means. But then they basically drop you, you know, like in media res into this world and then go... This was is also this normal to all these characters. They shouldn't stop to explain it to each other. Mm. So I'm not going to explain it to you. Which is either the most frustrating thing about this book and makes you hate it, which mm -hmm. I can see, or like <laughs> me goes, oh, this is so good. But it's gonna. This keeps me up at night. See, the, <laughs> like, it's that whole ending section that made it for me, though, is watching him lurching around and trying to do his jaded PI thing in a universe. Where that no longer makes any sense. No one cares yes. about anything. Like, like they're they're literally drugged daily to never care. <laughs> so then what happens? Uh, he essentially tries to like exact his own 
form of justice because the whole idea of justice sort of becomes meaningless. And it, it means nothing to anyone, and he's not even sure it means anything to him at this point because he's like, okay, I figured out the murder based on uh, the amount of drugs people are taking and this and that. But this guy actually, hot, the, the, the couple each thinks that the, the, between the two people, like the woman gets killed, both people in the couple think the other one is cheating because they both are having this rendezvous in a hotel. Both couples are sneaking away, both people in the couple are sneaking away from work to go to a hotel to rendezvous during the day. They take so much of the drug that makes you forget. All they know is the other one is going to a hotel. They don't remember it's with them. Mm. <laughs> and so they eventually hire a hitman who kills the wife because he's cheating on, she's cheating on me with someone. Him. <laughs> and he figures that out once he realizes he gets to the future. Like, oh, everyone's taking these drugs. It used to be this like taboo drug to take back in my day, but now everybody's taking it, and no one can remember anything they did all day long. It's in fact forbidden to remember what you do for a living in the future. <laughs> and so he's like, suddenly it makes sense. I saw her abusing this drug. I saw these other people involved with this drug and all that, and one's a dealer and whatever. And so he solves the case and he goes and finds the person and lays it all out, but they just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> because it's been six years, they're all taking this forget-it-all drug. They won't remember this conversation in the morning. And and it's the whole central <laughs> problem. Like, what can things like justice or pen, penance or vengeance, how can they have any possible meaning in a world where people have no, like, memory and essentially no identity? At yeah, this if every morning is essentially, you know, that blank slate thing. Yeah. And it's and he's just like, no, this this should matter. <laughs> like, intellectually or, like, philosophically, and yet he keeps finding the world kind of proving that it doesn't. <laughs> and it's, it is that whole thing where he's just like, at, this, at some point he even just says like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Well, it takes away the, you it know? takes away the story. Without memory, you don't have the this, this story that we all exist in and justice mm. doesn't have a meaning. Justice is a sort of a, a, a kind of a rule of our universe. Like when you, if you take universe building and apply it just to our own lives, mm. this, that's just one of the things, like you, you take away memory, you lose the whole universe that you built, and now... Well, is there some reason to punish someone with Alzheimer's? They can't yeah. know what they did. Is there any penance or justice or anything in that? And it's like one of those weird ethical philosophies. What that means is there's no, like, justice and um, these kind of virtues aren't any sort of, like, God-given things that right. exist in the universe. They just, they're just stuff we just made up. Yeah. And that's, it's <laughs> this guy kind of coming to terms with that. And his, they're already skewed from what we would consider normal. Uh, where he starts, and then they they're skewed enough when he comes out of his whole thing, you know, with a six year gap. You were gonna say sharply for him. Yeah. No, my brain was just hurting. <laughs> <laughs> it is. This is one of those books that, like, I've tried to explain it to a couple people, and it just doesn't work. See, I, I like I like this book when I was reading it, and I'm liking it a lot more as I'm talking about it and trying to explain it. I, and I'm, like, appreciating yeah. it more as I'm thinking, like, no, this was actually doing more interesting stuff and than I credited is, I it for. And I can't tell, and like I said, because they, they, <laughs> it, it doesn't go out of its way to hold your hand or explain things. You know, you kind of, you just sort of have to catch on and get into it and kind of learn its lingo. And then, you know, you're kind of left to go, well, is that, at least for me, like, while reading it and then afterwards, like, okay, now, is that really clever? <laughs> and this author has it all figured out, and he gave us just what we needed to, to suit his story in the way he wanted to tell it. Or is this, I don't have to figure it out because I'll only give you what you need for the story, and it'll seem like there's this whole world out there. In which case, I mean, that's a whole other kind of smart, or a whole other kind of lazy, and I can't <laughs> tell. This is the only <laughs> thing, as far as I know, I've read by, uh, by Jonathan Lethem. So, like, I, maybe this is just 
what his style is, in which case it's fascinating. Or maybe this is a weird one shot that comes out like this and everything else is crap. I, I, I did a, a, some reading of like reviews of his other stuff, and, then, and apparently he, he tends to do these sort of high concept mashup. Mm. Hmm. Maybe you want to read things, uh, Raymond so. Chandler, and I was like, man, <laughs> do you have any Raymond Chandler? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I have a bunch of Raymond Chandler. I'm like, can I borrow it? She's like, you know, I'm moving, right? I'm like, so it's already in a box? <laughs> so, uh, no, it's, but it's, it's got me wanting to read more, like, old school, cliche as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, detective stuff. But what you realize, at least what I did relatively quickly, is like, oh, my God, this is every detective cliche. And it's like, oh, that's why, because it's really good. Yeah. It's just meat and potato <laughs> storytelling. I want the guy to be like... <sighs> and pull the bottle from his drawer. <laughs> he sees the silhouette outside the thing. Is that ah, couldn't have been my landlord because she was too caravan or whatever. Like, God, I love that. Like, oh, more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, so it was. It was really surprising how much I got into it, despite going. I bet I can predict every fifth line mm. because it will be the line no. you would get if you read something like this. Except but, for when you know, the talking kangaroos and uh yeah exactly you know. that's what makes it right. work i think, I think is taking these cliches and throwing them into this completely maybe he, just, maybe he wrote the entire book totally straight <laughs> normal and then he's like oh, way to <laughs> <laughs> talking kangaroos yeah and the talking kangaroo named joey <laughs> yeah. It's all oh, very subtle. So, like, I, I get what he did there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to pause us here, and we will be right back. You are listening to the Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. Up next, we have a submission from one of our regulars. Joshua English Scrimshaw is the co-producer of Comedy Suitcase, dedicated to creating live comedy for all ages, as well as co-host of Get Off My World, a podcast dedicated to Doctor Who, and the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast, which revisits the great horror and suspense shows from the golden age of radio. Without further ado, enjoy the next chapter of his ongoing serial, Bucky Starburst, Junior's Space Cadet. Now it's time for Bucky Starburst, Junior Space Cadet. Brought to you by the world's wealthiest fanboy, Jasper Tallywhacker Jr. Today's adventure, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. But first, a word from Richie Rich himself, Jasper Tallywhacker Jr. Greetings, boys and girls. Today I received a very interesting letter from Hugo of Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Hugo writes, Dear Mr. Tallywhacker, I am writing in response to the cliffhanger from last week's episode. In it, you featured a character who claimed to be Bucky Starburst from the future, thus introducing the concept of time travel to the Bucky Starburst universe. Frankly, I am appalled by this. Bucky Starburst has always been a realistic space drama rooted in actual rocket science. There is no place in this show for the tawdry gobbledygook that is time travel. Please retcon this lunacy immediately. Sincerely, Hugo J. Redacted. Hmm. Boys and girls, I have exactly four things to say in response to this letter. One. Fuck you, Hugo. Two. 
It doesn't matter what kind of story you're telling. There's always room for time travel. It's the jello of genre fiction. Three. F you, Hugo. Four. Thank you for including your return address with your letter. This allowed my daddy to buy the block you live on. Or should I say, used to live on. That's right, Hugo. The bulldozers are on the way. Daddy plans to build a Bucky Starburst theme park there, including a life-size bronze statue of me urinating on the exact spot your house used to be. So in conclusion... you, Hugo. Okay, then. Back to Bucky Starburst Junior Space Cadet. When last we saw our heroes, Tom Cosmic had just finished explaining how he escaped the clutches of the evil robot General Deathcap by crashing an escape pod on the planet Chappic Prime where he found a completely furnished robot-proof hideaway with a mysterious note urging him to contact Space Patrol and ask for the help of Bucky Starbus Jr. Space Cadet. Just then, the third-person narrator entered the story, revealing himself to be none other than Bucky Starburst from the future. But you're so tall and handsome protested Tom Cosmic. And that voice, said Bucky. It's so manly, you can't possibly be me. I am you, I said, and I can prove it. I lifted my silver lame tunic to reveal a long diagonal scar that ran from the bottom of my ribcage to my belt buckle. Bucky gasped. I have a scar just like that. He scrambled off the waterbed and unbuttoned the belly button button on his junior space cadet uniform. See? I got it on a field trip we took to the Jupiter Zoo. A little girl fell under the monkey habitat, and I jumped in after her. But in the heroic process of saving her life, you were gored by a horny space lemur. Bucky gulped, causing his Adam's apple to bob up and down the length of his tiny neck. You really are me, he whispered in awe. And even better, those really are my rock-hard abs. Can I touch them? I'm going to touch him. Uh, no, I said, quickly pulling down my tunic. There are certain temporal and social boundaries we should probably discuss. Whoa, hold on, said Tom. None of this makes any sense. I know it's hard to believe, Major, but time travel is possible. No, I'm talking about that zoo. Why would you put a lemur in a monkey habitat? They're not simians. You can tell by the tail. It's used for balance and support, but it's not prehensile. Major, please, we don't have much time. I need to explain what happened or what's about to happen. Uh, both, really. They stared at me expectantly. Tom Cosmic, naked and wild-eyed, yet somehow heroic, living proof of that razor-thin line between the ridiculous and the sublime, and me, so young and weird... And awkward, perpetually poised for action, steadfast in my belief that good always triumphs over evil. Boys and girls, I've tried to be a good narrator, a reliable narrator. So I feel I should be honest and tell you, in that moment, I wanted to give up. I wanted to take Tom and Bucky's hands and escape into time, run somewhere far away from the present or the future but that just leaves the past, and the past always catches up to you in the end. Listen to me, I said. I've traveled back in time 15 years to prevent a terrible tragedy, a tragedy that's going to happen in less than two minutes. 
It was you, said Tom Cosmic, circling me with a suspicious admiration in his eyes. You built this swinging bachelor pad for me. You left me jazz records to ward off robots. You left that note telling me to contact Space Patrol and ask for Bucky Starburst. Yes, but I'm not sure I got it exactly right. It was hard working from memory. Wait, said Bucky. You mean it was here before? In the past? It was, but Tom and I never figured out who built it or who left him that note. It nagged at me for years, so when I traveled back in time, I arrived a week before Tom, hoping to catch the culprit red-handed. But there was nothing here. I waited and waited, and finally it was the day Tom was supposed to crash, but there was no hideaway, no records. So I had to build it myself. The same thing with that rocket ship in orbit above the planet, the one that shot you and Captain Gravity. That was you? said Bucky. Yes. What else was I supposed to do? I remembered it happening, but when the time came, it wasn't there. It was a plot hole in my own life. I had no choice but to fill it. Pull me up by my bootstraps and call me a paradox, said Bucky, shaking his head in disbelief. You're a menace to the space-time continuum. What do you do for an encore, snorted Tom. Kill your grandfather and step on a butterfly? No, Tom, I said, starting to get a little annoyed. I came back in time to save your life. In exactly ten seconds, Captain Gravity is going to walk through that door and shoot you through the heart. But she's dead, said Tom. Crushed under a sand dune. No human could survive that. Good thing I'm not a human, came a gurgling voice from behind me. I looked at my watch. Right on time. The creature that stood in the doorway was exactly as I remembered. The sand dune had torn huge gashes in her human disguise, allowing her natural fungaloid form to bulge through the openings like moldy green tumors. One half of her face mask dangled from her chin in fleshy shreds. Her enormous bouffant tilted precariously to one side, pulling the human side of her face upwards into a horrible grin, but the exposed fungaloid half of her face left no room for doubt. Captain Gravity was not happy. Die, Major Cosmic! Die! She roared, and suddenly there was a tiny gun in her hand. An 1849 Colt pocket pistol, to be exact. That's right, I did my homework. After all, I had relived this moment a thousand times in the future, and now I had the chance to relive it in the past. I knew what I had to do, and I did it. I threw myself between Tom Cosmic and the bullet! <laughs> Wait, how can the narrator die? He's telling the story in the past tense. Hey, what's that going out the window? Oh, no big deal. Just all of the suspense. I am so over this gig. Tune in next time when that little rich turd Gasper I'm a Whacker once again brings you Bucky Starburst Junior Space Cadet.
Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Oh, is that already? <laughs> 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 Shit. To the not so silent planet with the. Uh, uh, coming up next, we have the exhaustively researched and prepared <laughs> story <laughs> by Matt Alex. Is there, is, there, is there any sort of intro you would like to give? How how you began this in childhood? Uh, it just, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because that does, it'll okay. Uh, but no, the, I uh, I one of my big problems I have with doing any kind of writing is. Uh, the, the initial seed of an idea mm-hmm. uh, is always difficult. I actually just did a workshop uh, yesterday. That was yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, on sketch writing that Joe taught. And uh, that was one of the things I had said I was hoping to get out of the class. Is like, how do you come up with the seed of an idea to work mm-hmm. on? Like, I'm fine with the process of working on writing, but I am the guy that sits on the blank page and goes, I don't know what the fuck I want to write about. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's rare that I have, like, an idea that it, it sounds interesting. And so one of the things I've turned to lately uh, is the... Uh, slash writing prompts on Reddit and it's you know it just pops up in my feed and I'll see two or three a day and every now and then I save one because they look kind of interesting and uh, this is one I saved from like a month ago and I was like oh, okay this one I actually want to do thinking it would actually be good to do at one of your uh, events and uh, so then of course Ooh, I was like ooh <laughs> <laughs> I have to uh, I have to write something on the quick for this show <laughs> let's bring up the, uh, the old save Reddits and so the, the writing prompt I believe as it was was um uh, your grandmother, a shapeshifter, has Alzheimer's, and she keeps looking different and stops looking like herself until you start to wonder if what you're actually seeing is her true form all along. I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Did it, did mm. it write the whole thing for you? Writing prompt. All you do is add the word cool. And so, yeah, and having experience in my family with dementia and Alzheimer's and all that, I was like, okay, I can kind of see, like, where that would come from. And so, yeah, so, I don't know, fuck it, we'll see. So <laughs> this, <laughs> you should come up with this, is it, like, 30 pages long? <laughs> I forgot most of it. So, this no. is an excerpt from the novel. I <laughs> this is the uh, slightly longer version of that three-sentence story. Uh, that would, see, it went from creepypasta to short story, and eventually someone will make it a feature. Because <laughs> that's how it works today. You know, That's why we needed the, uh, the version of Mama that was told succinctly in eight minutes as a feature. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Craig missed his grandma. She wasn't gone or dead or anything, but she wasn't like she used to be. Grandma Rick was forgetting things. As a small boy, he'd referred to her as Grandma Rick, Rick being her husband's name, as a way to differentiate between grandmas. There's Grandma Rick and Grandma Walt. No one in the family could figure out why I didn't call them Grandma Sarah and Grandma Ann, but eventually became normal and nobody noticed. Grandma Rick was the one that didn't get mad when the stuff he wanted to do required moving all the cushions off the couch, or using Papa's tools to build something that was never quite finished, or when he wanted to hear the same story for the millionth time. Grandma Rick was the one that played with him. They did all the stuff he wanted to do. She'd even make his favorite cookies whenever he came over. Now she was different, though. Ever since Grandpa died, she, she wasn't the same. She was quieter, less excited to see him when he'd come to visit. Upon their arrival, Dad would often say, Hi, Mom, look who's here, it's Craig. And Grandma Rick would look at him for just a split second too long before she'd acknowledge him. And while she used to greet him at the door with a big hug, it was now a smile and a hello from the couch. Like she was being polite to someone she'd just met. She was still nice and everything, and sometimes everything seemed like it had always been, but there was always something a little off. Her cookies weren't like they used to be, for one. They were the best chocolate chip cookies before, but now they were bland. Sometimes she didn't even put chocolate chips in them. Her hair would change colors, too. It was like she forgot she was old and her hair had been gray forever, and sometimes when he'd visit, she did blonde or brown hair. Well, this time, she didn't have any hair at all. 
She didn't look like Grandma Rick this time. Dad noticed it right away and rushed to kneel at the couch by her. He started to say something to her before turning back to Craig and saying, Grandma Rick is tired. Why don't you go play downstairs for a bit, and after she's had a nap, we'll all do something together. Craig walked out of the room, stopping just around the corner in the hallway. We didn't hear what happened next. And he heard Dad say, Mom, Mom, you need to fix your hair. You've had that short gray hair for years now, remember? You forgot your hair today. Craig hasn't seen you like that before, and you're going to scare him. Can you fix your hair for me, Mom? Confused, Craig crept back towards the corner of the hallway and peered in the living room. He saw Grandma's sprout hair that wove itself into place and looked exactly as it always did in just a few seconds. As he stepped back into the hallway, Dad must have caught the movement out of the corner of his eye. Craig? Come in here. I saw you. Craig hesitated. He was in trouble. Dad is going to be mad. Craig? Come in here. Now. Slowly, Craig rounded the corner. Dad and Grandma Rick were both watching him approach. He felt very small, and his steps kept getting smaller and smaller, too. Finally, he stopped and stared at the ground while still a couple feet away from Dad and Grandma. What's wrong, dear? Surprised to hear Grandma talking to him instead of his dad, Craig looked up, his previous bashfulness forgotten. Did this old lady spook you, she continued. Craig looked at his dad for reassurance. He still didn't want to get in trouble. It's okay, buddy. Were you scared? Craig nodded silently. He was crying, he realized. He couldn't quite tell why, he just didn't want the two of them looking at him anymore. Listen, buddy, sometimes... Well, sometimes as people get older, they can, they can forget things, you understand? Craig nodded. It happens to lots of people, but in the case of people like us, it's a little different. Craig looked at his dad, then to his grandma, who was smiling. It wasn't comforting. When people like us start to forget things, sometimes we forget our eye color or our hair color, things like that. Now, normally, we have to think about changing the way we look from our normal selves, right? Well, sometimes people can forget what their normal self looks like for a bit and look a little different than we expect them to. It's okay. Grandma Rick is still Grandma Rick. She just might shift a little bit without realizing it sometimes. Okay, buddy? Craig nodded. And he'd say anything just, not, just to get out of that room right now. Dad may think it's no big deal for Grandma Rick not to look like Grandma Rick, but it didn't make any sense. Craig had never changed shape without trying to. In fact, if he forgot about the change, he would snap back into looking like his usual self without realizing it. It was embarrassing. Dad said that's why he couldn't do it outside the house yet. People wouldn't understand. They'd get confused or scared. Craig didn't see why it was such a big deal. He'd almost show what he could do to Andy a couple times, but he chickened out. Grandma Rick was old. <coughs> She must know how to control it by now. Why would she shift when she forgotten something that didn't look like her? If she was forgetting things, she should always just look like Grandma Rick. Craig, honey, your father's right. I'm just, I'm just a little tired. I'll be ready to go in just a bit. I just need a quick nap on the couch, and then we can play, okay? <clears throat> it's, it's okay, Grandma. I think I'm not feeling so well either. I think I need to go home and go to bed. Buddy, are you still just upset about Grandma's hair? It's totally fine, okay? I promise, said Dad. I, I know, Dad. I just, I really don't feel good. I want to go home. Dad sighed. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, Mom. We'll stop by another night next week, all right? Of course. I'm happy to have you anytime. And you feel better. You got that, Buster? Okay, Grandma. Craig let his dad carry him back out to the truck, and he didn't say a word the whole ride home. He just kept thinking about how Grandma Rick and how she was shifting, and she wasn't thinking about it. How he always went back to looking normal when he forgot to think about it. And how she'd gone back to looking just like Grandma Rick at the end. Except her eyes. Her eyes looked like Sadie's. They're cat's eyes. Craig was sure they'd never looked like that before. Finn. 
Thank you. So did you did you intentionally <coughs> establish a theme for the episode, or did this? I did not. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems like we're talking much. about memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's the the reason I, I saved that kind of writing idea was uh, my grandma, my mom's side. Wicked Bad Dimension, all that, and like a lot of that is just my. I was older than the kid I'm writing. The kid I'm writing about is the same age as my son, like eleven or ten or something, maybe a little younger. Uh, I was older when I had to deal with my grandma, kind of forgetting who everybody was, and now one of my parents' good friends. They're in their late sixties. One of their good friends now has dementia, and I can't imagine what that's like. It's one thing to have like your parents kind of lose it a little bit. No one wants that, but that's not out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. But none of us are ever as old as we are in our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at like uh, someone's Facebook profile or like a OkCupid profile or something, and they say they're the same age as you, to <laughs> me at least, and maybe this is my own ego, but I always go, you look 10 years older than me. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying that I look good for my age or anything. I just figure like, but yeah, I'm still basically a kid. I'm like two years from 40. Yeah. That's, not, that's not true at all. No, I, I had a but, similar, you know, uh, yeah. But you don't it was, think of it that way. And so, like, my parents have this friend who now has dementia. And this is the, one of the couples they would go do everything. Like, they go golfing mm-hmm. and they'd go and take vacations. And so, but now, like, when Joe and Carolyn go to a restaurant, she might walk out of the bathroom without her pants on. Because she got distracted mm-hmm. and had a thought and had to run out and tell them. So she just comes out in her underwear in a restaurant. Or she will sit and just watch TV on the couch for 12 hours, not turn lights on, whatever, because she's just watching TV. And my mom and my dad and her husband, all these people are trying to adjust to that reality. They're like, oh, no, this can be us, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a that's a weird, freaky thing. So, like, some of that fear is very real to me in uh, the idea that we, we, we're driving around in these weird little robot bodies <laughs> can just fail us. And the thing we think is driving our brain can fail us while the body's still okay. And so mm-hmm. who's really driving now? <laughs> and that's very fucking weird. And then the idea is that as kids, I think being scared of like the extremely elderly or different is a very common thing. I remember the kids across the way that were 15 years younger than me being kind of taught by their parents to fear the mutant, and I was definitely the mutant. <laughs> like, I was the kid with the weird hair and the tattoos and piercings. I and I was like, they just had this look when they'd look at me, and I'm like, you've been taught to fear me. <laughs> like, probably not bad life advice, but you can see that in kids. Like, you're distrustful of something that's just a little off, and the idea of having that play off in a story, and this is going to be the kind of thing that will have to be worked on because it's pretty rough, but having it actually pay off where the kid is not just being a kid, and all those things are things I've said to my kids to reassure them in different circumstances, except like having the kid be right. Like, God, that'd be nightmarish. <laughs> it's yeah, like, you know, like whatever it is that's freaking my kid out about someone. And it's like, oh no, they're actually just totally a werewolf. And like, I just wasn't paying attention because that's insane. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> you know? So that's a little bit of where that came from. But yeah, that, the, well, the, it's, the it's, memory and the reality thing kind of ties into that. Yeah, and it's that horror of the idea that like, we, we think of the, the human brain as being this sort of grandiose... When it's essentially chemical, I mean, mm-hmm. it can be altered. And one of the most yeah. fragile very things easily. in our body. Like, yeah. like, yeah. like, yeah. like, will like, fuck your shit forever. Yeah, and <laughs> that's not that hard to do. <laughs> like, it's so weird. I, I don't know. And you said the kid was not a kid. Did I did I miss something? Do what in the story? The kid was not a kid. Or did I just hallucinate? <laughs> you say that. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, unless the I kid just... in your story was actually a kid. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they are, and uh, this is just slightly implied by the story, but in my mind, this is a family that has the ability to change shape, the world at large would not. So the kid talks mm -hmm. about being able to look different or, you know, having that ability. I, but, but, that, but, that, but that idea is a good kind of universe-building idea, which is a world where people's mental illnesses are um, projected physically. Mm-hmm. And how and what what the implications mm -hmm. of that would be? Like, um, yeah. I, I think about how different our society would be if, for example, uh, depression was manifested as two broken legs. And, and like, there's not sympathy being yeah. He's yeah. like he's not coming understood. out to the party because his his legs are broken because of the depression. That's a really, <laughs> as opposed that's to a fascinating idea. Yeah. And we would have so much more sympathy as a society for mm -hmm. that. Yeah. We would put so much more money into that, and we would have, we'd, have, it'd be, we'd I think we'd be far healthier. Yeah, as a people, if you could see mental illness. I, I wonder if that's not why we tend to think of, uh, we tend to equate mental illness with weakness, because the alternative is much more frightening. <laughs> that like that this we're all susceptible to it. Yep. We're all like you know, yeah, and no amount of preparation, whatever, can. <laughs> save you from it if it's the time that that yeah. happens in your life it your brain can happens. break down the same way any other part of your body can and yeah. it could happen to any of us at any time and yep. no one wants to like confront the horror of that. but this is, <laughs> this, this is an interesting philosophical question because some of us here are religious and some of us are not mm -hmm. but one of the things uh about religion is there's a, a sense of permanence that is described as the soul mm -hmm. so this has been a question that's always fascinated me is if you are no longer who you are because of some disease or you got hit in the head oh, yeah, or whatever, yeah. did your soul change? I mean, I'm now I'm asking this question toward religious people. Um, what, what does it say about your soul? <laughs> <It's not laughs> like as your eye keeps snaking over to I me. Don't know what Joe, I don't know what Joe is. <laughs> but... Um, it, I think one of the one of the uh, most useful things about the idea of a soul is when you don't have this kernel of permanence that's mm -hmm. at your core, yeah. then you then you are left to the winds of change. Even right. your your core personality, which you, which you, it feels permanent, which it kind of yeah. has to for the purposes of survival, but mm -hmm. it's, it really is not. And then, the, but the soul, the idea of the soul, gives mm -hmm. you that thing to cling on to as you know what, no matter what happens to me physically. I have this permanent part that's my soul. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, the interesting thing is that that feeling of permanence is really just for yourself. I'm not talking about the soul bit. I'm talking about the what, what makes you up as an individual and the choices and the actions that you take and all of that is just permanent to you. And that's such a weird thing, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> if I saw someone else start to go through some sort of mental change and they became a different person, I would redefine them. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, there could be an extent where they don't even realize they changed. And so they're to them, right. they're still always they're the same still person. They're still the same. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, it's that, like, that's the horror of like flowers for Algernon, of like losing the yeah, capacity yeah. to act average, smart, or even above average smart, but see through the window of your eyes that you're not acting the way you think you would like to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. watching someone else drive your body and do it poorly. Like, does you know, if that is what actually happens with dementia, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but, but I don't think that, I hope that's not what happens. I guess we have no way of knowing. But yeah. like, but yeah, because your sense of self is used to let you sleep at night, right? 
Like, and you can't step outside of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Wait. My sense of self is what keeps me up. <laughs> but, you know, getting back to the idea of, like, you know, people having issues with, you know, depression, anxiety, all that different stuff. Like, that, that is, you know, the, the aberration from what we would all consider sort of the, the ideal, which is we all kind of know who we are, where we're at, and things are up and down. But overall, we kind of dig life. And if that fails, then like that that loss of a sense of self or control is what keeps you up at night, right? If you have that shit neatly packaged in a bow, which I imagine very few people do, I think you sleep pretty fucking well. And that's the only <laughs> job that that has, you know, the, the the soul or whatever little you know the dude driving. If that seems to jive with your perception of reality, and you're kind of the two create each other, then I think you can kind of be at peace with life. Whereas if you start to skid off the rails, you know, then you would, or at least based on the quick conversation we've had, I would hope to skid off into the dementia where I'm unaware mm. that I've lost what mm. I had, as opposed to, you know, the depression and anxiety I deal with, which allows me to see what I think I could be doing and be unable to reach it. Mm. That's yeah. much worse <laughs> fate. One me. of the big yeah. uh, causes I see of, of misery is expectation. Hugely, yeah. And so what sure. you're saying is you want you you want to be able to because it's the ex, it's basically reverse expectation. It's the expectation yeah. you had for life because in the past you were able to see the world this way, but now you can't. And mm-hmm. uh, but if you didn't have if you didn't have any memory of yourself back then, that expectation would expectation would be gone and you'd be right. totally fine. Yeah. So it's all a matter of basically. So maybe we take the drug <laughs> and wake up every morning forgetting the previous lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nice out. <laughs> and, and, you know, you never have to get through more than 12 hours. <laughs> like, that. I don't know. But uh, this shit makes my brain hurt. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm gonna that's actually a dementia. I'm going to stop us there, and we shall return. Ooh. <laughs> You are listening to the Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. If you're in the Twin Cities metro area and would like to hear some live storytelling, or even sign up to perform yourself, we present a recurring monthly open mic at Kieran's Irish Pub in downtown Minneapolis. More information about this and many other spoken word events in the area are available at wordsprout.org. And now, back to the podcast. Welcome back! <laughs> All right. Yeah. Here we are. All right, Whoa. we're back oh, okay. to the hey, Nuts on the Planet. Just making Wait. sure no one is using the for ASMR. <laughs> yeah, just like, no. Wait, what is this again? I forgot everything. Oh my god, I, I hate everything about you. <laughs> I, I took some drug. <laughs> Forgetterall is the name of it. It's, it's very subtle. It's subtle. <laughs> yeah, but, oh, oh, I thought of a... Just... Take it or leave it. I thought of a twist ending for your story. Ooh, please. Um, if it is a world where everybody can change shape based off of... If they, like, lose control of the ability to change shape, the twist ending could be they take the kid and then they put the kid at the end into a nursing home and it turns out he is oh, the husband shit, son. the whole time, but he forgot himself and changed shape into a kid. Twist! <laughs> yeah. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. Well, I, this is when you ask for 10% royalty. Yeah, I know. well, I did 10%, Reddit gets 
Twenty percent. And just for another reason. What would you just do? Uh, you may have noticed that in our bathroom, some of the tiles are coming. Oh, I forgot to are, close the door. They're a great delight for a certain four-legged But yes, another reason I wanted, uh, this is theoretically going up in September, mm -hmm. though these have been uh, a moving target. <laughs> <laughs> but one reason I wanted both of you, uh, and we are recording this in May, by the way, so whether or not there's <laughs> yeah. even like a human civilization at yeah. this point. Right? Just imagine, just imagine, just, when you're listening to this, <laughs> imagine all the things we don't know. Right? <laughs> Bro, no! <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Three of the four people on here will not survive. Yes. <laughs> like, we can't even imagine what we can't imagine. <laughs> They're I unknown, unknown. Sacrifice. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you carry on? <laughs> but yeah, well, one reason I wanted both of you guys is because you're both veterans of the Twin Cities Horror Festival, which is something that is coming up. Yes. Uh, you've both participated to uh, fairly significant degrees over the mm -hmm. years. I don't even know, is this the fourth year coming this will up? Be six, six. Six? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not even close. <laughs> 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 but yeah, the the uh, it's a great festival where I just sort of love the whole idea. I mean, obviously I made a speculative fiction event, so I'm totally it's invested in yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. anyone doing anything like this. And I'm so... Uh, well, Joel, you've yeah. done it longer than me. Do you want to do a quick <laughs> what the hell it is? Sure, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the Twin Cities Horror Festival is really a, it's, it's, uh, it is a 10-day festival uh, that takes place at the Southern Theater, and it is really just a celebration of mostly new uh, or, or semi-new works mm -hmm. put on by local companies, uh, hour-long plays or events or whatever. Um, but each company gets, uh, you know, up to like five performances throughout the festival, and it's a hodgepodge of different takes on what horror can be. So some really bloody, <laughs> scary stuff uh, to more comic horror. That's usually my wheelhouse. <laughs> Although um, you, was it two years ago? You were half of a dance. That was troop. last year. Was it just last well, year? Yeah. Seven Colors? Let's, yes, I think that was last year. Jesus, it feels yes. Because well, I guess you went through it at French, so I think I felt like it was longer. Yeah. But yeah, yeah uh, which was fantastic. Uh, oh, time yeah. is yeah. going slower now, what with Jill Stein in the office. Uh, <laughs> Again? <laughs> <laughs> we're back in that timeline. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Awesome. Now, this is one of the things yeah. that has happened since May. <laughs> so one, so one thing. Uh, I mean, one reason I I'm so into. I mean, it's really one of the reasons I I made the planet is the not so silent planet, you made not the, the planet. earth, Whoa. not the earth. But uh, but uh, and I'm a bad nerd because I can't remember the name of the planet that makes planets from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide now. Megrathia. Thank you. <laughs> like, the uh, other name for this podcast that you were talked out of oh so wisely. <laughs> but the uh, but but it was it just was clever. It was a clever name. <laughs> yeah. 
but not clever, but what not funny. Mel- <laughs> like, uh, no, the Mel Brooks quote: "Wit is shit, funny is money." <laughs> <laughs> Go for the dick joke. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was just being in the storytelling. <laughs> you should have called this podcast "Big Dick <laughs> Sci-Fi Hour." Big Dick <laughs> Planet Big Dick Sci-Fi. Yep. Wow, <laughs> Planet Fucker. I like La- it. I think so much disappointment every single time <laughs> <the> podcast. <laughs> oh. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> all these spec jokes. And for a hot second, they thought we were like a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 fan. <laughs> and it's like, no. Nope. The only egos here are our own. <laughs> so. But yeah, the... the yeah, continue your thought. Yeah, yeah I am right? continuing my goddamn thought, no, you up son of a bitch. I don't know what's delaying you so long. <laughs> I just... I just the reason I love the horror fest is because I spend so much time in the storytelling spoken word world and everything was so fixated on uh, personal narrative, and mm. uh, which is great. I love personal narrative, sure. I, but it was every, every time you went to a storytelling show, it was five people talking about their childhood. And, like, yeah. and I, I just so desperately wanted to see something else and uh, I was doing a lot of fantasy material and there was just I had to work really hard to find places to do it so mm. finding places like the horror fest which is like nope go weird I should say it was two years ago for Birds of Seven Colors you were told was it? right yeah because nice. last year was the Philip experiment oh dear. yes yeah okay <laughs> right there, I think I we Horseshoe Hot Dog my podcast started doing the little film stuff i think right. two was the first one we did we didn't do like the full shorts thing but we did like yeah. riff track stuff yeah and so like i've seen shows now for most of the festival's duration which means i cannot tell what year they're from right right yeah all, it all blurs you know, together yeah, yeah absolutely i'm like was that the one where like photos had the tiny hands at the end of sticks no that no. was the camping one was it like oh i saw that one yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, i cannot yeah. like trying to get them all in narrative order is, is brutal but yes, I say I say let's dive forward into our laws of semiotics, which are the grand truths of writing that all writers must follow or perish. So wait, are these supposed it, to be truths about writing in general or speculative writing? Oh, oh, I don't know, Ben. What do you? What are your <laughs> thoughts on this? What do you think about it? Huh? Let's 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 hear what you're. Uh, I, I think you got Give opinions, huh? Yeah. Interesting Joker face. (laughs) (laughs) Philip, for those who can't see, just broke into this weird smile and uh, flashes uh, eyelashes at me. I I gotta say, are we talking? Are we talking? He said it's such an angle. (laughs) I went all the way around. (laughs) Heath Ledger or Mark Hamill Joker? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The original. Batman, Bam, Bang, Caesar Romero, Caesar Romero, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm <laughs> Complete too famous in soap operas that I won't shave my mustache. Put the white grease paint over it. Yep, <laughs> Joker. <laughs> one of so, my faves. That's a good, that's a great joker. It actually is a good Joker. Yeah. It's a really fun one. There's no Frank Gorshin, but <laughs> you can see the Joker being crazy enough that the Joker would just do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is that it's un. It's unwittingly worse towards the <laughs> Like, I'm not going to give him credit for that, but I'd buy it. <laughs> All right, Matt, will you draw mm. our first law? Right. Philip, who writes these laws? Ooh. They are sourced from a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> if only there was a better way to say that. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so this is a short one. I'm surprised at how short this is. Uh, no serial killers. I disagree. 
That's a pretty broad. It is a, that's, that's a pretty, <laughs> quite the blanket statement. No, but I, I love the boldness. Of it. Yeah, <laughs> no science fiction. Right. No, but, uh, my, at first blush, I would also be like, I disagree. But at the same, I just I would love to hear whoever wrote this <laughs> explain why, because I bet it's fascinating and well reasoned. Mm. But I I think that's just too blanket. Do of you a bet? Statement. How much do you bet that? <laughs> I, I, I mean, <laughs> realistically, if if you're willing to like. Throw that opinion out there, unless they're just trolling. You, you must be, you must believe that enough to think, no, like this should be like a rule. Like, okay, if that, if you believe that, you must really hate the idea of serial killers and speculative fiction. I think that is, and this is, I, I would liken this to uh, uh, the, the enough with zombies. I'm like bullshit. Enough yeah. with easy zombies. Right, right. When you have an interesting story to tell about zombies, you tell it. If you are just going, uh, fuck it, put some zombies in it, and we'll get it made. Well, then no, don't do zombies. But so, so I, I think it's too easy to write off as like a subgenre. <laughs> yeah. You know? Is is it the no more of the charming, brilliant, untouchable serial killer? Is that what they're saying? Or am I am I just I could regrouping say that's what we after a meeting? You know, if you'd put that caveat with it, I would be like, Yeah, okay, I'm, that's been done a lot lately. I, I remember I, I doing some research on serial killers, which only sounds good when you yeah, pause afterwards. Right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> like, the, yeah, so uh, how's your Google search? Yeah. <laughs> how many lists are you? <laughs> but it was the uh, it, it was the fact that the vast bulk of serial killers, like actual ones in the real world, not mm -hmm. in fiction, are generally not very intelligent. They're like like mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest is like the Green River Killer, who was a guy who just keep picking up hitchhikers and then dumping them in the river and then well, just it's like fair that the <laughs> Hannibal they, they, in Hannibal the books they go out of the way to say this guy is not normal. This right. is not a normal serial killer. Um but it well, is that kind of part of the whole thing is like you need yeah. to bring in specialists because we can't catch him the way we normally would. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right? Yes. And uh, in Hannibal is sort of a, a Sherlock Holmes, but a, like an evil Sherlock Holmes, where it just I like, think we call it a Moriarty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, you're right. Word, right? <laughs> I should say instead of an evil Sherlock Holmes, I should say a cannibalistic Sherlock Holmes or cannibalistic yeah. Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's cool if you just don't want to agree with. It. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, what this is all about. I see your power plays, sir. <laughs> Well, one day I'll get that co-host <laughs> but, uh, but Hannibal was used originally as they thought he was a good guy. So he was used mm. as a Sherlock Holmes type, a kind of mm. detective for hire to help the FBI um, before they found out that he was the guy that was... But anyway. <laughs> so like a, he was more of a Dexter type guy? No, no, he so wasn't. Was, he like they a would, they, would, they would bring him as a consultant. He was basically <laughs> yeah. the, the very same reason that they hire Sherlock Holmes as, as a consultant hmm. to help catch serial killers, um, because he was such a brilliant uh, psychiatrist. Hmm. And then they found out that he himself was a serial killer, and nobody else was like him. So, but then there is, there has been. I, I guess I could see this this law, kind of suggesting, that you can't have like Hannibal. Is it a, a unique character, and anything that would be resemble him in a story is going to be too, too cliche? Yeah, because the only reason that character theoretically is special is because he is unique and special. I, I feel and like so, yeah, we're watering it down. You know, <laughs> well, like yeah. if every doctor is house, it's some kind of super genius that will always go. Yeah. It's not lupus, and then solve it in the end of an hour. Like, well, then it 
there's no point to watch the original one. They all seem stupid. Yeah. I feel like we're working very hard to conjure <laughs> some sort of <laughs> meaning behind this law that the law well, doesn't still, really. I understand by my initial thing of like I don't think I don't think I can get behind that because it's too broad. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but I can see why. Yeah, if because of the similarities you might see lately in movies or fiction or whatever, like you, I can see what someone would be like. I've got serial killer speculative fiction fatigue. Yeah. I think that's totally valid, but I, I would, you know, stuff comes and goes in waves. Yeah. You know. All right, Joe. Oh, all right. What do we got here? All right. Who's longer? Okay. Yes. <laughs> nice font. <laughs> the technology of tomorrow won't be more difficult to use than what's available today for the same task. Well, I mean, that's... <sighs> so, so is it... So I, hmm. so okay. So is that the like the idea that like the screens in Minority Report that you have to wave a hand around are actually more work than just flicking an iPad? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, I I think. So it it should be easier. I I think what they're tried. I I think what this is trying to get at is that advancement in technology to overcome a task. The technology won't become more difficult to use. It'll always become easier, or will be the same to use. Which. I think there's a truth to that, um, but not to one individual person, right? Oh. This is my example. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, think about your parents and the telephone, right? They, sure. They know how to use it. They pick it up, they spin a dial, you know, seven times, and then it rings and someone on the other, the other line answers. But now you hand them a phone. Mm-hmm. and. To us, it makes total sense because we've been in the world, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say the phones that we have now are way easier to use because all I have to do is just tap on the screen yeah. seven times. I don't have to, you know, do a twirly thing with my finger. I don't have to hope that somebody else is is waiting at the other line. Um, but yeah, if, if I I see what you're saying, like yeah. if I had to take like, you know. Um, some pre-industrial tribesman or whatever yeah. and teach him how to use a telephone, teaching him how to use an early telephone versus teaching him how to operate a smartphone might actually be a lot more difficult yeah, to yes, do. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, my parents still have flip phones and every now and then yeah. I go, should we get one of those? No. <laughs> because all you'll do is call me. <laughs> how do I? And I'm like, no. My dad will once in a great, great while text me and signs his text, Dad. And I'm like, I know Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's you. Um, well, I mean, theoretically, a Snuggie is more of a complex piece of equipment than a than blanket. blanket. <laughs> so it does yeah. get more complex. You know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. I think you, you go to the Snuggie the example, snuggie it breaks everything down. <laughs> Nobody can like, I can't get behind it. My, my favorite part of the Snuggie advertisements, because they always have to do like the before the after black and white yeah, showing yeah. like, why this is better than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> showing someone who like can't figure out how to operate a blanket. Yep, yep. <laughs> what is this crazy device? The thing is, who you're this on me? We're not even <laughs> exaggerating. That's what the commercial that is. That is it. That is it. <laughs> It's like they've been thrown. It's like a net that's been thrown over them. Right. <laughs> well, it's you know, it, it, this does sort of, in a roundabout way, relate to one of those things that I, I like getting reminded of by, uh, technophiles, which is the like all the shit we keep waiting for the future to give us, we have. 
all the shit from Star Trek we have. <laughs> we have the iPad. We have the yeah. Know, we have teleporters. But the day to day shit. Like, right, right, right. Have the cool yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. <laughs> but like the idea of clicking a thing and you can watch whatever you want. The idea of having a credit yeah. stick that you can just have accepted anywhere you go. And you don't have to have money. We have the credit cards are older than fucking everything. Like, we, we've had this technology since before they invented the a fake sci-fi version of this technology. A microwave is more or less that device in the Enterprise that Pretty can make you whatever food you want. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, the steaks are kind of <laughs> shitty, but, like, it'll, it'll make it warm. <laughs> but it's just, we have so much of this already, so that, like, I see that there's a point of, like, it damn well better perform something that we don't currently have, because what we currently have is pretty great. Yeah. Said everyone in every generation ever, but... Yeah, you know, <laughs> but that but that is the job of the speculative artist, right? Is to come up yeah. with a thing and go like, "Oh man, wouldn't it be even cooler?" And like the Jetsons were wrong. I don't want my food in a pill form. I don't think anyone does. <laughs> like that that's that is I think an example of this is actually shittier than what we currently have. It's sort of like being a geriatric. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, they talk about uh, in the Jetsons. They talk about that. What is it? It's like an eleven minute work day, and it's yeah. just, just killing them. And it's like. <laughs> But then when you come home from that, do you want, because you have all that free time, would you rather enjoy a long, luxurious meal with your family of whatever you want because you have a replicator? Or do you want to be like, done, now I've got 19 and a half more hours before I have to go to bed. Woo, guess I'll kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that shows a future that seems futuristic, but also seems in no way catered to how, what people actually need for fulfillment. Yeah. And so there, there might be something to that, is that if you're going to have this new technology, it has to actually improve the parts of your life you want, not just allegedly be more efficient well that's you know i mean you're talking about the practicality of technology right as opposed to the um just the nature of having a piece of technology in a story that doesn't make any fucking sense <laughs> sure yeah, yeah it, it's definitely like a different shade than completely bonkers stuff but you're but what you're saying is interesting because you're like well we should have the technology that actually improves our lives when you can make the argument that so much technology is something that just leads us to emptier and emptier it's like that 11 minute thing you get 11 minute day um you technically should then be happier because you can spend more time with your family but do you or do right. you just go and do other things that you want to speed up because yeah. now you're used to everything being sped up. So just like everybody's always adjusting to the world that they have. Mm -hmm. And their happiness never catches up with them. So they're just I don't know. Strive for dementia, man. I'm telling you. Strive, Strive for dementia. dementia. That's, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a really fun episode. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of lost the thread there. <laughs> Can anybody tell me what I was trying to say? Yeah. I think you should draw our last law of semiotics for this episode. An author uh, may kill beloved characters indiscriminately with the understanding that they will become known in their fandom mainly for doing so. So, Joss, Joss Whedon? Whedon <laughs> I think that just saying Joss Whedon... George R. R. Martin, yeah. or like, you know. yeah. although I mean, I would say like it's. I just uh, I've been reading uh, Saga, which is a great comic book, mm -hmm. and is not afraid to kill off characters you come to love. And I don't think that Brian Vaughn is casually doing it for shock value. I think that who's the whole setting. And I would honestly say George R. R. Martin kind of does too. The whole point of that universe is no one is safe. Everything's crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
so it wouldn't make sense if all the people he introduces you to from a single family survived to the end. Just like in Sire, yeah. it wouldn't make sense that they keep accruing friends and family and they all make it to the end. That, that would be the opposite of every rule of that universe. I would say if you have a universe where your plucky band of adventures do just fine until the movie, <laughs> and then three of them die. Okay, that's a different story than you sold us. You know, like if Han Solo and, you know, C-3PO die at the end of Jedi... You'd be like, that seems tacked on. Like, everyone made it through everything just fine. Fine, just fine. Well, I do, I do just like when, when they kill a character, like, in the last episode of a TV show. Right? Because it's I mean, like, maybe they had their plan no the whole time. Yeah. But it's it's hard not to be cynical about that. Yeah. See, but, but, I but I'd argue that, I mean, Whedon's doing it because it, it is a very specific statement that death is senseless and horrible and meaningless when it occurs it's not mm. like yeah. i mean the well, he uses it to the storytelling value yeah well i mean the whole thing the the body's a classic buffy episode in which yeah. uh, they're locked in this big epic battle with this evil god and then uh, halfway through the season buffy comes out and her mother's dead of an aneurysm on the yeah. couch in a completely unrelated like and it's the most it's just yeah. the real life is also it's the darkest yeah. most tragic <laughs> episode and it's the only one in the whole season where they're not dealing with some evil god yeah. it's just a, yeah. it's just a normal death and, and I'd say I'd throw the angel finale as a final episode that kills off like half the cast debatably the entire cast but <laughs> the, let we have time <laughs> <laughs> But I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just saying that uh, I love it because that's ultimately what the entire message of the series is. Is mm. it's about sin and redemption and this notion that you can't walk away from these horrible things you've done. There's. There's it, no. <laughs> there's no. It's the message I took away from it is that there's no end point. There's no goal. Mm. You just continue the moments. Like, uh, whatever the... Yeah. Uh, well, life has no narrative structure. We keep yeah, going yeah. until we're dead, and then someone's <coughs> in the middle of their structure, and they go till they're dead. Mm -hmm. Here, here's yeah. the word, I think, though, that's important in this one. Uh, kill beloved characters indiscriminately. <laughs> and that is just the sign of a terrible author. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Because <laughs> I was... All our examples have said... They were trying there's, to say, yeah, there's, there's meaning behind it, there's a purpose behind it. But who can you it think was, of authors who do, do that? Kill their characters indiscriminately, or for shock value would be the other. Yeah, because I would say even Game of Thrones, the, there's a very good reason for killing the characters, and that is to yep. make the the world feel mm -hmm. dangerous. Yep, and realistic. I, I, uh, I don't want to give every right because the, the problem is, is you can talk yourself into either hating every writer for being indiscriminate or going okay they were trying to say something which is why I feel like this is one of those debates that like when you go to convergence or whatever nerds are arguing around tables about myself included because this is the thing that like you know we everybody's got their take on how good they thought a series was and if you liked it in general you're probably gonna be more forgiving of the author's intent and if you didn't like it you're probably less forgiving and there's you know people that are able to rationalize one way or the other but deciding if something's indiscriminate, unless the author just says, I rolled a six-sided die and knew one of my main characters had to go, then it's, you know, how do you know what's in their heart when they wrote the thing? Mm. So well, it's, it's almost I, an unanswerable yeah. question. Yeah, except I think you can figure, like, if that death ends up having no impact on mm -hmm. 
the rest of the story from that point on, then it, I, I, I think you can say the author just didn't know what to do. <laughs> the story could have been, right. been done with the best of intentions. They weren't good enough to follow through. Well, yes, yeah, so I guess that's so true. I guess like, that's true. where it just, you can make yourself crazy. Yeah, right? that's <laughs> true. Figure it out. The other way you risk the, the um, perception that you killed your character specifically for a plot point. Which yeah, also feels yeah. unrealistic. Or so, freaking yeah. sweeps week for a yeah. TV show type thing. Like, ooh, yeah. you know, Mr. Burns got shot at the end of season <laughs> six or whatever. And it's just like, we all know exactly why that happened. So Burger King could sell more cups or whoever it was. One of your actors got a job in the Obama administration. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Although I would say as shitty as the reason behind that was, the episode, and, uh, this is House we're talking about, yes. right? Yeah, the, the episode handled it. Really nicely. He killed himself, right? Yeah, there was uh, uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Cal Penn's character, Nelsie, <laughs> yeah. commits it, and it was basically done with no warning and no hints. and uh, Because they didn't know he was going to leave. <laughs> build up to yeah, it. Yeah, he couldn't add but suspense. the thing that was brilliant about it is House's entire complex is being the brilliant observer of human behavior who nothing mm. gets past. So to see one of his employees just kill himself out of the blue was such a... To not see it coming. He was so convinced, him. like, oh... What did we miss? What did we like? Mm. He kept trying to turn it into like a deep mystery, and it was the you just didn't see it, man. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? So I think I think the message of this episode ultimately is that you can rationalize anything and nothing matters. Yeah, <laughs> and, so, yeah. and dementia and suicide. Yeah. We, yeah, life has no meaning aside from that, which you can rationalize upon it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all we got. The not so silent planet, folks. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Sleep we'll well. Tuck your See kids you never. in. <laughs> I hope your sense of self helps you sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's an illusion. <laughs> Each story holds a thousand seeds, a proverbial pomegranate. A not-so-silent planet A not-so-silent planet A not-so-silent planet